today's reading comes from Matthew 10, 16-33. Jesus said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local council and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my father in heaven. This is the gospel of Christ. Are we going? Are we on? Great. Ashley, thank you very much. Slightly odd to say this is the gospel of Christ at the end of such a hard reading, I think. Uh, It is a hard passage, and so we're going to pray for God's help as we come to it now. Father God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that all of this book is inspired. They are your words. And so we pray now by your spirit, uh, help us to understand them, help us to take them to heart, help us to see Jesus more clearly. For his glory's sake, amen. On Saturday mornings, my son Wren plays rugby for Shirley Rugby Club. And I have to say that I hate going to watch him. Not because it's freezing, and it is freezing, it's colder even in this room. Not because uh, he doesn't do well, in fact he does, he's probably one of the shortest on the team, but uh, managed to get two tries yesterday. Now I hate going to watch, because standing among all the other dads, I feel totally out of my depth. Even the guy with the biggest beer belly there has more sporting prowess in his little finger than I do in my whole body. To be honest, I'd rather not go. And actually, there's an irony in me saying this, because I didn't go yesterday, because I was writing these very words. (laughs) But when I do go, I'd rather stand on my own at the other side of the pitch. But I don't do that because I... Part of the reason I want to go is because I want to share the gospel with those guys. But 
I do feel really frightened. Now, I don't often in life feel frightened or intimidated by very much, but I do in that situation. I don't really understand the rules. I often have no idea what's going on on the pitch. And I always think, these guys think I'm a total loser. And then occasionally I say something about church, and I can feel the kind of suffocating sort of awkwardness in my tummy. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying it because I don't think I'm the only one. There are many situations where we feel intimidated, don't we? We don't invite people to church. We don't mention the gospel. We don't talk about Jesus because we're frightened. Now, for most of you, I imagine the sporting-related oddness is, is you don't get. In fact, you probably think, yeah, you are a bit weird. But I do think for all of us, there are those kind of situations, those contexts, those people, we really do find it hard to to be consistent Christians before, never mind mention the Lord Jesus. We've got a women's evangelism event coming up in a couple of weeks. Imagine some of you have been thinking, I'd love to invite that friend, but you're frightened, you're nervous, what might happen if you do? What might they say? Well, today Jesus speaks into that kind of situation. And at first glance, what he says is not particularly comforting. He doesn't say, James, you big baby, grow up. It'll be all right. What's going to happen? He says, actually, you can expect to suffer. What you fear might well happen. If you're following me, if your priorities are my priorities, Jesus said, then you will suffer because I suffered. And the Bible makes this crystal clear, doesn't it? There's no bait and switch. Jesus says following him will involve suffering. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're in a section where Jesus is sending out his 12 apostles, and he's sending them out into the harvest fields to proclaim the gospel, and he's giving them their marching orders. And we saw last week some of the things here apply only to the 12, but much applies also to us. We're not commissioned in the same way, but we are commissioned to take the gospel to all nations and make disciples. If you're a Christian, your job, my job, is to make disciples of all nations. When you think about it, that's the only reason we're on this planet. If that job was done, then Jesus would have come back and we could be in heaven. The reason we're not enjoying heaven now is because there are many people who've not heard the gospel who need to hear it. And Jesus says here, from a number of different angles, if we are committed to that task, we can expect to suffer. Look at verse 16. I'm sending you out the sheep among wolves. You don't need me to tell you, wolves eat sheep. Verse 17, be on your guard against men. Why? Because they'll hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. Verse 18, on my account, you'll be brought before the governors and kings. You'll be dragged before the authorities. You'll be dragged before the movers and shakers, the opinion formers, and interrogated and worse. Now, incidentally, this verse helps us see that what Jesus is saying here doesn't just apply to the twelve. If you were here last week, you remember Jesus said, don't go to the Gentiles. So how could it be that they're suddenly dragged before Gentiles? Jesus is is talking about a much bigger situation than their immediate uh, mission. Move on a few pages into Acts, and we see this happening. Look in church history, and we see all kinds of people dragged before the governing authorities and persecuted. Jesus' words have much a much bigger impact than just to the 12. But it's not just those people out there, is it? Even within families, we can expect opposition. 21, brothers will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. 
sobering words, aren't they? For most of us, far beyond our experience, but they're not uncommon. I'm hoping that next week we might possibly be able to have an interview with with a bishop, Bishop Gabriel Sharma. He uh, believed in the Lord Jesus, I think from a Hindu background. And the day he went home and told his family that he'd believed in Jesus was the day his father told him to pack his bags and never come back. Or in Cambodia, where Neil and Rebecca Dunbar are serving. During the time of the Khmer Rouge, the, the teachers in the schools would encourage children to inform on their parents. And if those parents prayed, then they would be dragged away and shot. Children will betray parents. This kind of suffering is far, mercifully, it's far from our experience, isn't it? But Jesus says we too can expect to suffer if we're committed to this task. And he tells us why. Look at verse 24. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the servant to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, that is the devil, how much more the members of the household? See what Jesus is saying? If they did this to me, the master, why do you servants expect a more comfortable life? No, you'll be like me. You too will suffer. And friends, just think for a moment how Jesus suffered. Snatched in the middle of the night from the garden, his friends driven away, put through a sham trial, flogged, tortured, and then nailed to a cross. And if that's what they did to our master, why are we surprised when we are treated unfairly? In fact, I think what this says to us is that if we're not suffering, that's abnormal. We often think, don't we, that when suffering comes, we've done something wrong. There may be some in that situation this morning who, who, who stood up for Jesus and actually it's been costly and painful. And Jesus says that is not abnormal. On the contrary, that is the normal Christian life. Now, praise God that we don't suffer all the time and we don't suffer in, in particularly horrendous ways normally. But we can expect to suffer because Jesus suffered. And I think this would also lead us to ask, if we're not suffering, if we've never suffered for the gospel, are we really committed to the task in the way that Jesus is? Now, it's not that suffering is necessarily a mark of faithfulness. We can all think of people on social media, can't we, who seem to think that their faithfulness is marked by the number of angry comments they have under their post. No, we're not to be obnoxious. We're not to be provocative for the sake of being provocative. But as we go about our normal business, speaking of Jesus, we can expect to suffer. I wonder what you think. Is our greatest problem that we're obnoxious, we're too in people's faces, we're, we're pushing the gospel too much and so suffering? Or are we frankly more in danger of being invisible as Christians and so getting no trouble at all because nobody notices or cares. I think when you mull on verse 16, it's a very striking image, isn't it? Jesus says, I'll send you out as sheep among wolves. And I think the more you think of that image, it really does cut across the assumptions of our society, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but if you own sheep, I think some people do here own sheep. Does anyone own sheep? Some people have got lifestyle blocks, haven't they? Yeah, well, look, there's a, there's a shepherd. If you own sheep... Uh, if, if you owned sheep and there were wolves outside your, your um, block, you, you, what would you do? You would surely build a big fence. 
and you'd pen them in and you'd put an electric sort of electrification around the fence. You'd do anything, wouldn't you, to keep the, the sheep safe. You'd keep the wolves away. And yet here is Jesus, the good shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep, and he doesn't say to us, seal yourselves off. He doesn't say, build a big fence. He doesn't say, erect barriers. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. It's dangerous. And shame on us when we make the priorities of the world, comfort, security, safety, prosperity, our values, when we hide away. Shame on us when we make pastoral care just about making people comfortable instead of equipping people to keep going in this task. Shame on us when we make church about what we like, what our preferences are, rather than what makes this place most effective at the Great Commission, knowing Jesus, making him known. Now, friends, this is hard. But remember, Jesus asked us no more than he himself did. We'll remember his death this morning at this table. As we take bread and wine, let's remember that Jesus left the comfort, the prosperity, the security of heaven and embraced life among wolves. His body was torn. His blood was splattered that we, his sheep, might be saved. If we're committed to this same task, we will suffer. We can expect to suffer because he suffered. But I don't know about you, as I think of that, as I preach that now, does it not somewhat frighten you? As I preach that, I think, well, the last thing I want to do next Saturday is go to the rugby field. But Jesus knows this will frighten us. And so he gives us three reasons not to be frightened of the world. The first one's in verse 26. Do not be frightened of the world because we're on the right side of history. Do not be afraid because we're on the right side of history. Look at verse 26. Do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Because of that, verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Everything's going to be revealed, so proclaim it boldly. Tell people the gospel because it's going to be made known. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that seems a bit odd. I'm frightened of talking to people And Jesus says, get on with it because uh, everything's going to be made known. What's the link? I think the link is, uh, part of the reason we're nervous about doing this, uh, proclaiming the gospel, is because there's a a lingering doubt that maybe we're wrong. Imagine the disciples as they go before the ruling authorities, the opinion formers of their day. There's a nagging doubt maybe we're wrong. We're going against the whole world. And Jesus says, yes, you are, but... One day you will be publicly vindicated. One day it will be clear that you are right. So don't be scared. Get on with it. I don't know if this illustration helps, but imagine if you were a doctor in Wuhan in January, you know, the place where COVID-19, they think, came from. And um, if you can think back six months to the world before all of this trouble, And imagine if you're a doctor in a hospital there and you're treating all these people with this virus and suddenly the penny drops and you think, hang on a minute, this virus could devastate the world. And you you think, we must tell people. And so you begin to tell people this terrible virus is coming that's going to turn the whole world upside down. Well, people would think you're a total crank, wouldn't they? 
And as you begin to do that, the Chinese Communist Party is going to put all their effort into keeping you quiet. Don't hang our dirty linen out. That's what they did, isn't it? But wind on six months. And the world has been turned upside down in a way that is hard to imagine. It's become public knowledge. And we don't think of those brave doctors who did that as cranks, do we? We think of them as heroes. We say, thank you for doing that. And if anything, some of us say, why didn't you do it louder? Why didn't you say it more clearly? Well, our society says to us, what you believe is outdated. It's oppressive. It's old-fashioned. So shut up. And Jesus says, it may seem like that, but one day the truth will be revealed and you'll be publicly vindicated. You're on the right side of history. As I stand on the rugby sideline, if, I, if those other people then knew that the world was heading to judgment, if they knew the only way to escape from the wrath of God was through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the most natural thing in the world would be to talk about the gospel, wouldn't it? It's the fact that they don't know that, that talking about Jesus seems bizarre. And Jesus says, one day, everything will be revealed. And on that day, people will say to us, thank you for speaking up. And no doubt some will say, why didn't you speak louder? Why didn't you warn us? And so Jesus says, don't be afraid. We're on the right side of history. We will be vindicated. But Jesus says, secondly, don't be afraid of people. Rather, be afraid of God. Look at verse 28. Do not be afraid of the one... Uh, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, friends, this is not a popular thing to say, is it? One Bible gives this uh, little section, the heading, Do not fear. Have no fear. But Jesus doesn't say have no fear, does he? He says fear God. We are frightened of people in the world because they can make our lives miserable. They can make our lives awkward. In some situations, they can kill us. But Jesus says we should be more afraid of God. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. They are strong words, aren't they? Humbling, sobering words. And you see what Jesus is saying? Our enemies may be able to kill us. But when they do, we'll be welcomed into paradise. We'll be met by the Lord Jesus who will say, well done, good and faithful servant. All, of our, all that our enemies can do is promote us to glory. But God has the power not just to kill the body, but to kill our souls. And Jesus is saying that should frighten us. Because the one who has found an enemy of God will find themselves facing God as a holy judge and they will die. And friends, notice this isn't said to unbelievers. Sometimes preachers get a kind of bad rap. We're always trying to frighten people outside into the church. This isn't said to outsiders, is it? This is said to the 12 disciples. This is said to Christians. And Jesus says this very harsh word to us that we might take our responsibility seriously. Someone might say, I can't believe in a God like that. Some might say, God surely wouldn't do that to someone who's been to church all their life. But look what Jesus says, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, 
I will disown him before my father in heaven. Imagine getting to the pearly gates and being someone who knew the gospel, who knew all about Jesus, who'd been in church many, many times, who'd taken communion, but who'd lived a life embarrassed by him, who'd lived a life publicly disowning him in word or in deed, because we're more frightened of disappointing the world than disappointing the Lord Jesus, more concerned of the approval of our boss or our mate or our family member than of God himself. And Jesus says if we live like that, if we're ashamed of Jesus in this world, on the day we come before him after we die, he says, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. And God will cast our souls into hell forever. Friends, this is a terrifying word. And it may be as we hear this word from the Lord Jesus that some here are convicted. Actually, we have lived like this. And we need to repent. And we need to come back to God and ask for his mercy. We need to resolve to publicly live for him. Wonder what that next step might look like. Who it might be that we need to tell, actually, I'm a believer. But friend, if God has convicted you, praise him. What a mercy to be convicted now before we come before him as judge. Praise him and do not be downcast, but rather remember the gospel. Remember who Jesus is speaking to, friends, the 12 disciples. And who is the first on this list? Simon Peter. Simon Peter, the one who, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, three times denied him. You're not one of his followers, are you? No, I'm not. You were with him, weren't you? No, I wasn't. You know him? No, I don't. Peter the denier, Peter the down disowner, but Peter the restored, the one who was called back to Jesus and transformed by the Holy Spirit and enabled to live publicly, boldly, consistently, not perfectly, but consistently before Jesus. And friend, Jesus says to us this morning, if we're convicted that we've lived like this, then come back to me and I will restore you. I will welcome you associate yourself with me and you'll be forgiven. I will associate myself with you in heaven for all eternity. But you need to acknowledge. You need to acknowledge me and come back. Don't be afraid of people. Be afraid of God. Some might say, hang on, if that's what God wants of us, isn't this just a religion of fear? Isn't our service of God more kind of tyranny, slavery? We do need to fear God with reverence, But do you see the relationship is far more than that? He's our heavenly father. uh, The third thing to see, don't be afraid because your heavenly father cares for you. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Do you see what he's saying? We live in a world that is actively ruled by our heavenly father. A world in which even a tiny little sparrow cannot die without God's will and permission. God rules over the sparrows. Except, God, except Jesus doesn't say God rules over the sparrows, does he? He says, your father rules over the sparrows. And the remarkable thing is, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, then God is our father. And this father, who loves us immeasurably more than we can imagine, rules the world. So don't be afraid. And you see, look, it says he knows us intimately. Even the very hairs of your head 
are numbered. Now, let's be honest. For some of us, that's a, a more impressive feat than for others. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to look at you, Alan. That was a slightly unfortunate. You didn't hear. That's good. Um, I, one of the shocks of lockdown uh, for me was seeing myself on the screen so often. And I realized I'm boarding much more on the sides than I, I realized. It was quite a shock. But however many or few are hairs, God knows every single one of them. Isn't that an extraordinary thought? And so don't be afraid. Because you are worth far more than a little sparrow. And God knows what happens to the little sparrows. Not a single sparrow dies without God's permission. There is no denying, is there, friends, that we live in a scary world. We live amongst wolves. But our world is ruled by our Heavenly Father, who is all-powerful and loves us more than we can imagine. Bad stuff will happen to us. We will be hated. People will try and do their worst to us, but nothing can happen to us but by his will and permission. Now, friends, this is a wonderful truth. It might raise a number of questions for us. It's a huge doctrine. And if that's raised questions, please feel free to come talk to me afterwards. But as we meditate on that truth, it is a marvelous antidote to fear. If there's somebody here, who's realized actually they've not owned Jesus publicly. They've run away from him. They've been ashamed of him. And they resolve actually tomorrow in school or work, I'm going to say to my friend, I'm a Christian. I'm really sorry. I haven't told you that. I've sat next to you for six months. I've never told you. But I'd love to tell you today I'm a Christian. What's the worst that can happen to us? They might laugh at us. They might make a complaint that goes on our file. On the other hand, it might go really well. Oh, you're a Christian. Tell me about that. But it might go really terribly, mightn't it? They might turn and look at us with anger in their eyes and say, I'm going to make the rest of your time at this school, the rest of your time in this office, absolutely miserable. But if that happens, your Father in heaven cares for you. He will protect you and be with you and nothing will happen to you. That person can do absolutely nothing to you but by the will and permission of your Father in heaven. And through the pain and the suffering, he will be with you and comfort you and strengthen you because he is our father who cares even for the sparrows. How much more does he care for you? We need to meditate on this truth. I fear that I have. I fear that much of the church in the Western world has lived not like sheep among wolves, but sheep hiding from wolves. Because our values have become the world's values. Safety, comfort, prosperity. But friends, do you see Jesus' values? His is proclaiming the kingdom. Making disciples of all nations. Rescuing people from hell. We need to accept that if we want to follow a crucified Christ, if we want to be committed to Christ's mission, we need to expect to suffer. And it will be scary. But let's not fear men because we're on the right side of history, because acknowledging God is not optional. It's much better to displease man than God. And because this wonderful God is our Heavenly Father who cares immeasurably for each one of us. Let's not be afraid, but let's get to this task. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that in many ways we have lived as frightened people we have not embraced the cost of suffering 
And Father, for the times that we have done that, for the times that I have done that, forgive us. And Father, renew us by your Spirit. Help us to live our lives like Jesus, not fearing the shame or the suffering of the world, but rather going out to it boldly, like sheep among wolves, that we might snatch some who are perishing from the furnace. Father, give us a great vision for that task. Help us to know that we go out under your authority and with you, with us. And we pray, use us to change this world, to rescue people, that they might be with us in eternity forever. That much glory might go to the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray it in his name. Amen. Um, we're going to have a time of prayer. Um, yeah, so let's pray. Holy Father, we know that you are perfectly good and perfectly wise and you are perfectly in control. We trust you. We pray this morning for our neighbours in Australia as the coronavirus has been spreading in many parts. We ask that their social distancing and other measures would be effective in reducing the spread of the virus. Please give strength to all the doctors, the nurses and other medical staff in Australia and the rest of the world as they take care of those who are sick. We thank you for those people who do this despite the cost of themselves. We thank you for the high degree of normality that we in New Zealand currently experience, that we can meet again as a church, and that we can interact with each other in ways what we might have previously taken for granted. May we not take this for granted, but please help us rather to be thankful. Please give wisdom to our government and to other leaders as they seek to manage the country in ways which might enable this degree of normality to continue. We pray that the gospel will continue to go out, that churches around the world will find effective ways to engage their communities with the good news of your son. We especially pray for our diocese here in New Zealand. And this morning we pray for the Anchor Charismatic Church. We thank you for the focus that they have on evangelism and discipleship. Please, by your spirit, enable their vicar, Andrew Allen Johns, and others in the church to preach your word faithfully every week. We pray that people there would join their small groups and engage in one-on-one -on -one discipleship, drawing nearer to you as they do so. We give thanks for those who have gone out from our own congregation to take your gospel to other parts of the world. This morning, we particularly pray for Neil and Rebecca, as well as Jonathan, Aaron, and Emily Dunbar. With the recent passing of Ian Dunbar, we think of them, and also of Anne and the rest of the family. Even though they can't physically all be together at this time because of the travel restrictions, we ask for Ian's funeral this week be a time where his life can be celebrated and where you will be honoured as he would want. Please bring comfort to the Dunbar family. We ask that you help Neil and Rebecca as they try to make clear to their Cambodian friends the hope that they do have in you despite their grief. 
and as I speak with her children, please grant me wisdom, wisdom and help us to do so. We pray all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, knowing that you hear us. Amen. Thank you, Jaden. We're now going to stand and sing our next song, which will be our offering uh, song, Man of Sorrows. And if you've got little ones that have been out in the children's program, it's a good time that you can go and get those now. The older ones will all uh, automatically appear next to you as you sing, though. So do stand, Man of Sorrows.
take, uh, do take a seat for a moment. Uh, we don't normally have notices on uh, Communion Day, but I, uh, because of the shortness of time, I want to just uh, flag two things. The first is to say next Sunday there is a welcome lunch. Uh, it would be lovely if you're a newcomer to the church, if you've arrived either recently or maybe you've been around actually for quite a long time, but haven't been to one of these lunches, we'd love to host you. It's a chance to meet others who are, who've also recently joined the church, as well as some old hands, uh, and it's uh, a chance to ask questions of uh, probably me, one of the st- a staff member, and hear a little bit about St. Stephen's. So that's next week. There are invitations at the back, or you can get them from me or, or Chris or Aaron. Uh, you need to RSVP by Wednesday, but we'd love to see you there. If you're unsure, please come. The second thing to say is uh, we have a ladies' dessert evening coming up on the 1st of August. Uh, It's going to be a tremendous evening. And if you're a lady, I'd love you to think about who you could pray, uh, who you could pray, who you could pray to invite uh, so that you uh, could invite someone to come and hear the gospel. There's going to be two or three people uh, speaking from their own experience of what it is to be a Christian. Uh, It'd be a great evening. Uh, It'd be great to invite them there. If you're a husband or father, can I ask you to mark this in your diary and make sure you're available for, for babysitting? to get your wives and mothers out. It'll be a great time. I'm going to hand over to Jeff.